Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the first episode of Season 9 of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. Can you believe it, Tim? I can't believe it. Oh Here my gosh, go. how exciting. We're going to talk the Fablemans in this episode, as well as all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies and probably the perfect film. <gasps> Yes. To talk movies about with Spielberg behind The Fablemans, which is a cinematic memory of the forces and family that shaped legendary filmmaker Steven Spielberg's life and career. It's ultimately a universal coming-of-age story about an isolated young man's pursuit of his dreams and an exploration of love, artistic ambition, sacrifice, and the moments of discovery that allow us to see the truth about ourselves and our parents with clarity and and compassion. It's a deeply personal movie from Mr. Spielberg here, isn't it? Yes, and we'll learn that in our discussion today. Yeah. The movie is, of course, directed by Steven Spielberg from a screenplay by Spielberg and Tony Kushner. The Fableman stars Gabriel LaBelle, Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, Seth Rogen and Judd Hirsch. I'm so excited to talk about this film with you. I love a Spielberg film. Yes, we're huge fans of yes. Spielberg as a director, as a storyteller, mm-hmm. since he's been making films for... What, 50 decades or something? Sorry, 50 decades. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Five decades. Yeah. 50 decades, gosh. I wish that was the case, <laughs> though. I wish he could hang around for 50 decades. That would be <laughs> selfish but wonderful. That would be wonderful. So we were very lucky to see this film at the 85th anniversary of the Ritz Cinemas in Randwick in yes. Sydney. And some of our friends came down from Brisbane to watch yeah. it with us. Nick Labarro from Nick's Flicks Fix and Peter Gray, who's an acclaimed critic. It was great to watch the movie with him. And Spielberg actually introduced the film virtually, mm. of course, saying, The Fablemans is a love letter to my family, but also a love letter to the movies. Yes. And truer words were never spoken. And that held so much more weight behind it, just to build on your point, the fact that we were there celebrating a significant milestone birthday for the Ritz Mm. Cinemas in Randwick. 85 years is amazing for a place for people, a hub for people, an escape for people to come and experience storytelling, to experience the wonder Mm. of movies. What a special moment that was for it to be capped off with the perfect film to put on, which is like a homage to film, a homage to Spielberg's life through the lens of one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. This film is one of the purest embodiments of storytelling I think I've ever seen. It's a personal coming of age tale, as we said at the beginning, but it's also so much more, you know, it's an ode to his family, of course, Mm. but also to all families. You know, a young boy played by Gabriel LaBelle, who plays Sammy Fableman. So it is autobiographical, but not strictly. Like, I, I yeah. don't, he's not called Stephen. 
He's not called Stephen. Yeah. Right. What do you reckon the reason is for that? I think that must have been a separation. I think it could have been maybe one part too self-indulgent if he called the titular mm. character Stephen. But then there was, I guess, an opportunity then for Stephen and Tony Kushner to have maybe some creative license in how to formulate the mm. memories of Spielberg's life and to position them as this fictitious, semi-fictitious character in yeah. Sammy Fableman. I think it just gave them more breadth to tell a yes. story on their own terms. And I think it's also a good way to bring the audience in and have the audience connect with this story because mm. if you say it's Steven Spielberg, you might not be able to connect with it as well because he's Steven Spielberg. He's a god among men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the story follows this young boy who's first introduced to films and his way of overcoming some nightmares that he has because he's very young when he sees his first film. Yeah. And the first film is the greatest show on earth. That's right. That's right, yeah. So he's quite traumatised by the train crash scene. Mm. And his way of overcoming nightmares about this is through curiosity and recreating and dissecting the scariest scenes to see how it would work. I think that's really fascinating. And then the fun of the creativity of making films takes over and he becomes the family's unofficial documentarian Mm. while dealing with the usual challenges of being a teenager in the 1960s and growing up Jewish a bit different from everyone else. Yeah, I liked the way that we got to experience Spielberg's first love of cinema because that is always something that you can relate to, that wide-eye, bushy-tail moment of seeing something that you just can't understand why it's making you feel a certain way and it set up the trajectory of his life. And then the intuition of his mother, played beautifully by Michelle Williams, which we'll talk about later in the episode, Mm. to have that understanding of what her son needed in order to confront his fears was to take control of that moment through the lens of art and creation. Mm thank gosh, because now we have this beautiful filmography in Spielberg over many decades based on that moment of intuition. And I think that's such a big part of what we know of Spielberg's personality too, his curiosity, Mm. always pushing the boundaries, always wondering how he can do things better. And and that's what makes his films so wonderful. Another thing this film explores is how – the medium of film can help you see the truth or a different perspective about Mm. things. And as we said in the intro to this episode, it shows you the truth with clarity and compassion. There's no judgment behind the lens. Mm. It's just showing the truth. Yes. And that is a beautiful thing that we discover in Sammy Fableman as the things that he sees and interprets is Mm. is through that lens of the camera captures the truth there. There's a bit of a, uh, I guess, a mystery plot in there in terms of one plot line and the truth revealing and unraveling itself through basically just him pointing the camera in certain directions and piecing a story together, which is what Spielberg does as a filmmaker it's piecing Mm. the truth together and that's what's so great about movies it's one of the things i love the most Mm. about film is you can go in and have your mind expanded you can see things in a different way you can Mm. learn something new Mm. just on what you're seeing there's a couple of quotes that were said in the film i want to pull out one in particular Movies are dreams you will never forget. Yeah. Right? How beautiful is that? Mm -hmm. And I think that is a really nice way of Spielberg of planting the seed that this story about my life is based on my memories. So my dreams, my recollections of things Mm -hmm. that I will never forget. And then him going through his decades of filmmaking and planting seeds of his life in many characters Mm. and such like. But then it's all led him to feel ready and comfortable to tell his story based on his memories and his dreams. Yeah, it's all about legacy. What kind Mm. of legacy do you want to leave behind? And this is the film that he was always going to make at some point. Mm. Our friend Nick LeBarrow, shout out to Nick, wondered aloud as we were leaving the screening whether this film would have the same impact if it wasn't about Steven Spielberg. Mm. Do you think it would? I agree with Nick. Right. We will go into the things that I really admire and love about this movie, but that that point that Nick made really stuck with me after because I did leave the film going, gee, I, I really enjoyed that movie. Gee, it looked good. Mm. Gee, the performances were great, etc., etc. Gee, it felt like a Steven Spielberg movie. But did I feel as connected to it? Did I think the story was as captivating and as interesting as Mm. I was hoping or expecting it to be based on the life of the greatest filmmaker of all time, Mm -hmm. or whether you argue that point or not. And when he made that point, I was like, that's a really interesting take because 
if it was about a fictitious, fully fictitious Sammy Fableman mm-hmm. and not in the back of our mind knowing that it's about Spielberg, mm. would have people been raving about this movie as much as they are? What's your take? I've changed my mind because when we came out of the screening and Nick said that, mm-hmm. I did think, oh, yeah, you might have a point because it's a very sweet film. But without that extra layer of the iconography, mm. yeah, it's just a really sweet film. But having you know worked through my notes and had a bit more of a think about it and, and remembering how I felt while I was watching the film, I've changed my mind. And I think, okay. no, it's, it's just such a well-made film. That if it was about a fictitious Sammy Fableman, I think it would have the same impact because the themes are so universal. That's true. It's about one family, but you can see all your families in there. Yeah. And it's also about that universal moment where a child sees their parents in a different light. You know, they're no longer just your parents. They're fully formed people with desires and mistakes and foibles and loves Mm. all of their own. Mm. And I think that's such a universal thing that people can connect to. And that's a beautiful layer of any coming-of-age film. Mm -hmm. And Spielberg is like the king of of coming-of-age movies. So you would expect that the coming-of-age genre was something about his life, that there were big significant moments in how he perceived and saw the world and those Mm. in it differently. So you do make a good point. And in the podcast, like Lee and I, we watch a film and quite soon after seeing it, we're recording our thoughts on it and we're publishing the episode. Yep. This has been maybe a privilege to have it sit with us for a little longer because we saw it pre-Christmas. Gosh, it was like, was it November or December? Yeah, early December. Early December. Mm. So we're talking minimum four weeks ago. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, how our conversation would play out if we'd done it days after like we normally do. Mm. And then now it's interesting. I love that your relationship with the film has changed because you've had time to sit with it. Yeah, and really, really think about what Mm. I loved about it and what Mm. I didn't like about it. Was there anything you didn't like about it? Well, I've already referenced that I, I didn't feel as much of a connection to it and I agree with Nick that if it you know, mm. wasn't known to be about Steven Spielberg, whatever, I'll be raving about it. I did have, and this is just the most boring thing that we've said on the podcast all damn year, is that films are too long these days. Yes. <laughs> uh, this is a two and a half hour film yes. and it felt two and a half hours. Yeah. And I felt that there were some quite jarring pacing issues with the movie, mm-hmm. especially when they moved to LA. It almost felt like a completely different film. Right. But there's all the kids in the high school and the bullying and the anti-Semitism coming to the surface. Mm-hmm. Not that that was a problem to be explored. It was, it was interesting and complex and beautifully portrayed, but it almost felt like Spielberg had closed the chapter on one part of the film and mm-hmm. opened another. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, so we're still going with the same story, but it just felt really different for me. Yeah, well, we all know how vocal I am about movies yeah. going <laughs> on too long. It was long and it did feel long in, yep. in places, definitely. Mm. But, I mean, let's talk about Spielberg a bit more yeah, as sure. a director, please. Please. I just love talking, oh, about, my <laughs> love talking <laughs> about Spielberg. Where do we start with him as a director? He's an innovator. He's a storyteller. He's mm. a magician. His films solidified my love of movies. Like, there's no doubt about 100%. it. 100%. I love that you call him a magician, by the way. Yes. He's a magician. Yeah. He, he makes magic. Yes. You know, his films obviously are so well known. E.T., Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, Hook, Jaws. These are just the ones that he's directed. Mm. I could go on and on and on. Like, as a producer, he's been behind so many others. Hook is one of my favourite Spielberg films. Yes. For some reason, people seem to be on the fence about that. But Yeah, I don't understand that. Even revisiting it as an adult, I have very fond memories of it watching as a kid. Mm-hmm. But even watching it as Bangarang. an adult. Yes. Rufio. Rufio. <laughs> uh, there's so much to the universality of Spielberg's stories. There's so much yeah. to relate to yourself about well, the story of Peter Pan, my goodness. But then if Peter Pan grows up, you know, how does that change the narrative? Yeah. And as an adult, you really connect with Hook more and the beautiful performance from Robin Williams. I mean, I could go, we're not here to talk about Hook. <laughs> uh, but I just wanted to call that one out. I'm glad you, yeah. you mentioned it because it it's one of my, yeah. it's probably my top five. I feel exactly the same and I've never understood why people yeah. don't like it. It's it's a really interesting take on a story that's been told a million a times. A million and one times. I think what people don't realise is most of Spielberg's movies have been a reflection of his life in one way. Or another, Mm. you know, E.T. was inspired from his parents' divorce and how that affects siblings and how they come together and look after each other. It's also said that he created an imaginary friend 
to help him cope with divorce? And what if that imaginary friend was real and an alien? Mm. A lot of his movies come out, what if? Yes. What if? You also hear about what a gentle director Steven Spielberg is, especially with child actors. Mm. But he's always able to get the reaction and the shot because people respect him. And it took time to build that over decades and decades, but he's always kind of had it, Mm. I think. We haven't mentioned, but we interviewed Gabriel LaBelle, who played Sammy Fableman. Beautiful interview. Really, really wonderful interview. And it was wonderful to hear from Gabriel in our interview about what it was like working with Spielberg and his approach to directing when the material was so deeply personal. I mean, there were some extremely emotional days on set and it was really interesting to hear about those. He's basically directing actors to portray his mother and his father. And my understanding is that both of them had recently passed in the Mm. years leading up to him having the, I guess, the courage and the runway to then put his life to paper Mm. with Tony Kushner. So it would have been incredibly cathartic, right? Can you imagine approaching Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, and then also Gabriel LaBelle to, hey, it happened this way or why don't you think about this? Yeah. What an emotional place to go to and then to receive that as an actor as well Mm. with the respect but then also trying to bring your own thing to the character's performance. It adds so many wonderful layers to this film and also what a gift for the actor to be able to have the subject of the film there to ask questions of. Yes. If you needed to. Yeah, his parents had recently died. LaBelle also told us a story about a pivotal scene between him as Sammy and Paul Dano as his father that was playing out on the anniversary of Spielberg's father's death. Yeah. Which must be incredibly cathartic Mm. to watch play out, but also really taxing for a director. One thing you can really see in this movie too is how Spielberg's parents have shaped who he is and yeah. his filmmaking style. Mm. You know, his father was a brilliant computer designer and his mother was a talented artist and musician. And those seemingly polar opposites are what made firstly their relationship so complex, but also it's what makes Spielberg one of the best. Mm-hmm. His curiosity on one hand and drive to push technical boundaries and then his creative artistry yeah. on the other hand. Both of them come together in this perfect mix that just makes Spielberg who he is. Biological marriage of the minds. Yes. you know, Because Spielberg has been a maverick in terms of pushing technology mm-hmm. and what film can do and present like technically. Mm. But then the beautiful connection with the arts and storytelling – is, you know, taken from his mother, the more technical sort of intellect has been taken mm. from his father. So you could really see him in both of those yeah. people and it makes sense yeah. why he's so damn good. And I think curiosity mm. is a big word. Curiosity mm. is a big thing. He's very curious as a filmmaker, as a person, and that just makes for a better product, don't you think? Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. There's one thing of Spielberg as a director that I admire in him so much and mm. he films family like no one else. Yeah. And I mean specifically how he blocks actors' dialogue around dinner tables. The conversation in any Spielberg movie, especially family dramas or whatever, E.T., whatever it is, just feels so authentic and real. Like you're sitting at the table with them. And I think that goes back to the fact that he puts so much of himself into his movies. And this one more than ever and it takes such an incredible amount of vulnerability to to mm. do that. But by sharing something so special and personal, he's connecting with us. And that's what makes the best Spielberg movies so wondrous and memorable. And it's what this movie is saying on a mm. deeper level, I think, about the joy and the passion and the struggle between art and life. Yes. It's give and take. Yes. And the pressures within that family on, you know, his father didn't accept that he had this passion for filmmaking I think he or encourage did. him through that. Yeah, no, I think he did. He, his father never discouraged it, I don't think. I mean, you're not wrong. But he, he didn't take it as seriously. He as, didn't fully understand, Yeah, I guess. It was a hobby. Right, he, that's it. He, he says it in the film mm. countless times. When are you going to move away from this hobby? It's just a hobby. Mm. It's never in a mean or aggressive way. Like he doesn't ever no. portray his father as being like, you the know. villain. Yeah, there's no mm. villains in this film. Mm. There is no villains, even though there are some things that people might have strong opinions about happening. Yes. There's no villains. Everyone's just human. Yeah, everyone's just human. That's the perfect way of putting it. Speaking of the characters and mm. being human, <laughs> let's talk about Gabriel LaBelle. What a superstar. Oh, my God, this kid is going places. Yeah. This kid, he's in his early 20s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm showing my age now. Yeah. 
watch this space definitely. It was sure. he was so delightful to chat with, and of course we don't know what Spielberg was like sixty odd years ago, mm. but you could really get a sense of his spirit and the way he smiles and the way he holds himself in. Gabriel's performance. Yes. You, you've you pulled out this word of curiosity a lot in the mm. episode so far and you could really see the portrayal of Gabriella Bell's character in playing in that space of curiosity. Mm. He is deeply charming. He's very cute and innocent at times. There's a world that he's trying to navigate in his adolescence, which is really fun, that particular, the praying scene uh, when, <laughs> they, <laughs> when they live in LA. Wasn't that a great, uproarious reaction from the audience. Yeah. I mean, in terms of sharing an experience with strangers, I mean, one, that's what Spielberg yeah. does best, but that particular scene I think was just, it yeah. felt really good. It was funny. It, felt, it was good. And it felt natural too. It wasn't playing for comedy. It's the comedy born out of situations in your life that you come across that couldn't yes. be made up. No. <laughs> stranger than fiction. Right, that's it. It <laughs> did definitely feel like a stranger than fiction moment that yeah. I'm sure many people in the audience could uh, relate to, that's yeah. for sure. But Gabrielle LaBelle, absolutely fantastic performance, mm. really carries the film. And then, of course, you have the amazing Michelle Williams oh as goodness. his mother, Mitzi. Yeah. Gosh, the sadness in her eyes sometimes when she's smiling broke me. I felt very overwhelmed more than once by yeah. that portrayal. Yeah, yeah, there's this one moment in the film where they've moved again, they moved a lot, mm. and Bert, the father, picks her up for Sammy's camera and spins her around in the new house while the kids are playing and there's this close-up on her face that is absolutely heartbreaking. It's her Oscar nom shot right. for sure. Oh, you're calling it? I'm calling it. Yeah. Uh, the camera can see the pain and the loss behind those smiling eyes. Like she's got this really tight smile on her face that nobody else would notice anything is wrong with. But through the camera, mm. Sammy can see something else. Ah, oh, Lee. So true. Gives me goosebumps, that performance. Isn't it interesting that you see the film through more than one lens? You've got mm. the lens that Spielberg is pointing for us. Mm -hmm. But then there's the lens that Spielberg is pointing for for the character and us at the same time and the interpretation mm. of those experiences is so rich and layered. And I think Michelle Williams' character of Mitzi is complex, mm -hmm. very layered, very nuanced. She's struggling with mental health issues because mm. she doesn't really feel like she has purpose. She's given up her concert pianist life to mm -hmm. support her husband's career. So she feels lost but then also energised to encourage her children, especially Sammy. That is a mm. beautiful, beautiful connection there. She's a pure artist at heart. Exactly. And very talented. Then we've got Paul Dano as Bert, mm. as the father, who he gives a really strong but understated performance here yeah. as the rock of the Fableman family. And when he was cast, I thought, Paul Dano? A bit young? Maybe, right. I don't know. Like He I, aged up well in this yeah, character, I yeah, feel. Yeah, without makeup and prosthetics or anything like that. It's just, it's his performance. It's a really great performance. Yeah. And Bert's a very kind man who maybe doesn't understand Sammy's interest, but as I said, he never discourages it. Uh, he's a family man through and through because he has big ambitions not only for himself but for his family because his personal ambitions will support mm. his family in life. And maybe he's got a bit of tunnel vision there and doesn't see, use his peripheral vision to understand mm. how that's affecting and therein lies some conflict within the family dynamic. He's a grounded character. I think you mentioned that before. Yeah. Which juxtaposes really well with the free spirit of Mitzi and Michelle yeah. Williams. I, I liked Paul Dana. I have no fault in any of the performances here, but it is really interesting. I'm keen to hear your thoughts. Mm. When you have an actor who's been in multiple films in a year, going from him playing the Riddler in the yes. Batman, you know, early 2022 and then playing Steven Spielberg's father in The Fablemans. Mm. Do you struggle to disconnect those? Like do, does it take you a while to shake your – oh, last time I saw Paul Dano, he was an absolute fucking psycho. <laughs> <laughs> and then now I'm meant to believe that he's this – ambitious family man. He has such a varied career and I see mm. what you're saying It's it, that it's so close together. Is that yeah. what you mean? That yeah. it's so close together? that's part of it for sure. But I think in the Batman it was such a different performance and yeah. physically he's very different mm. and maybe, yeah, maybe that's why I kind of turned my nose up at him playing a father because I thought you're young and you're wild and you're crazy but he does have quite a varied career and an impressive one mm. at that. Um, I've just always seen him as younger. Yes, and a bit <laughs> left of centre. Yeah. I mean, Spielberg has directed him beautifully here. Yeah. So it's a different side of Paul Dano as an artist that 
that we haven't seen before and I hope we see more of it because yeah. there's, there's some legs in his ability to present in this way. I'm yeah. really excited to see more. We've also got Seth Rogen, which was another surprising casting choice, I yeah, thought. I th- mean, That was the one I felt a bit uneasy about going in without having seen. I was like, yeah. really, Seth Rogen? <laughs> What's the go here? <laughs> yeah, but he delivers a really sweet performance as Uncle Benny, who's yeah. Bert's best friend, who's carrying this secret burden Mm. and he doesn't labor on that fact but you can see it in his performance and i just thought he did a really beautiful job as well he is definitely a supporting character and yes you do get the seth rogan infectious energy coming in but definitely feeling like the cool fun uncle Mm -hmm. which we haven't seen him do before but toned down toned down definitely toned down I was really impressed with his performance. I thought it played perfectly in it for as long as it needed to. Mm -hmm. And I left the scenes where, you know, the story moves on, he's no longer in it or whatever. I thought that was really nice. Mm. That was the right piece of casting. And I I don't know how Spielberg landed on him, but it worked. (laughs) Now that you've said that, I did think his departure was quite sudden and, and not explored. Yeah. This is the part of the pacing and where the film kind mm. of turns on its head and feels like a completely different movie. Yeah. It's around that time. And when you leave characters in the dust, you do feel a bit confused. He was such a big part of the film before that. Yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> Judd Hirsch. Let's talk about Judd Hirsch. He comes crashing into the Fableman's <laughs> lives as the mysterious great uncle Boris. Mm. Boris. What a name. He's a man who left his family to pursue his passions and he's had many adventures working for the circus and performing. He gives Sammy a bit of future insight into the struggles that he's going to come across between right. art and family and yeah. the sacrifices that will need to be made to be able to pursue your dreams. Which would have been a really vulnerable thing for Spielberg to put pen to paper on, to reveal that because the torment of any artist is real and unless you are in that space, you don't fully understand. So I think Spielberg's trying to let us in to understand mm. what it's been like for him because he's he's an imperfect person. He's had divorce in his life mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. So I think it was like a, a little, this is what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is what that character said in this movie, said to Sammy, we are all junkies for art and art is our drug. Yeah. So he always came in with these great pearls of wisdom or one-liners that you mm. take away and interpret it how you will. He's a larger-than-life character. Mm-hmm. Very, very well played by Judd Hirsch. Big and, impact yeah, in the movie. Yeah, big impact. Yeah, and Spielberg has previously said that that's maybe where his showbiz genes come from, his great-uncle Boris, <laughs> who was a performer. <laughs> where the jazz hands come from, so to speak. <laughs> Definitely. You can, you can see that for can sure. Can you imagine Spielberg doing jazz hands? Uh, now I want to see it. <laughs> On the red carpet. Yes, please. Razzle dazzle. <laughs> the way The Fablemans is filmed is quintessentially Spielberg. Right. Wouldn't you say? It's almost all you need to say. Yeah. <laughs> right? But we'll say a little more. You can recognise his style yep. immediately mm-hmm. in the angles of certain shots and how he frames those shots. For example, often we're watching the action through a camera reflection or through the lens, as you said earlier. Mm. There's a scene where the kids are watching Mitzi's hands move over the keys in the reflection of a piano, and that's very Spielberg. It gives that dreamy, film-like quality to the memories. And Spielberg is just a master at evoking the feeling when you were first transported by a magical movie, Mm. even if the action is mundane, like somebody just playing the piano or keys or, you know, whatever else Sammy was editing some film or something Mm. like that. It evokes that dreamlike quality that pulls you in and makes you feel like you're watching movies for the first time. Oh, so well put. Don't you think? Yeah. You mentioned that there's like the mundanity in certain movements, but there is a pretty – spectacular moment in the movie Mm. where they chase a twister, they chase a tornado. Yes. It works somehow. And whether it's metaphoric or not or real, you can interpret it how how you will. But it reminds you that the man behind the camera, Spielberg, is like this big action filmmaker as well as he is a nuanced family drama filmmaker too. And then, of course, delivering the cinematography Mm. is Janice Kaminsky, who's worked with Spielberg, of course, on Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan, incredibly, incredibly talented director of photography. Yeah. And, of course, so many familiar names pop up on a Spielberg project. You know, why fix what ain't broke and keep working with the same people that <laughs> that do the great job? You've got John Williams' music. I mean, hello. Yeah, what hello. a beautiful score. Right. Production designer Rick Carter. Yeah. It's edited by Michael Kahn. These are all people who have followed Spielberg through his career and who he works with regularly. Yes, and there's that 
respect that trust in telling a story like this with all his old faithfuls. Mm-hmm. The visual stamp that Spielberg has, you mentioned it already, is is unmistakable. You know you're watching a Spielberg movie. And I felt this significantly in the remake of West Side Story that we saw mm-hmm. at the end of 2021, where I took away the same feeling in The Fablemans, that you are utterly convinced about the time period that you're in and the aesthetic of it, that it feels like a, a lived-in world. Mm. There's something about how Spielberg film is lit that I just, I will never not drool over. Mm. Like, it is just so beautifully framed and lit in mm. every moment, and I just can't get enough of it. There's quite a funny joke about Spielberg's framing towards the end yes. of the film. Yes. <laughs> and some advice he was given by a very prominent director yeah. about how he should frame the horizon. Uh-huh. And then he kind of adjusts yeah. <laughs> the it's camera good. It's to a do really fun way for the film to kind of come to a conclusion. Speaking of coming to a conclusion, should we wrap up our review of The Fablemans? Yes, let's give it a go. Indeed, Spielberg's love letter to cinema and his parents as muse, The Fablemans has a lot to offer. Brilliant performances from each and every cast member, especially Gabriel LaBelle, and an art to filmmaking that only Spielberg can deliver. I enjoyed this one, but as I mentioned, I didn't fall in love with it as I was expecting to. It is wonderful. It is inspiring, but lacks some pace and felt a little overbloated in parts that left me wondering if this wasn't known to be a film about Spielberg's life, would everyone be raving about it as Mm -hmm. much as playing on Nick Labarra's point earlier? I will leave that up to you to decide when you see the film. I'm going to rate The Fableman's three and a half popcorn kernels. Well, one thing I love among so many about movies is how they spark the imagination and Steven Spielberg is a master at doing just that. In The Fablemans, he invites us into the moments that sparked his imagination and shares in that feeling and magic with us. He's right there with us, which is what makes The Fablemans more than an origin story about one of the world's greatest filmmakers or a coming-of-age story of one boy and a family. It makes it a celebration of all the joyous things we love about movies, the epitome of that shared cinema experience and the wonder and curiosity of finding and following your passion. I'm going to give The Fablemans four popcorn kernels out of five. I love that wrap-up, Lee. Well. Before we move on to news and trailers, don't forget to listen to Popcorn Podcast interview with the Fableman star Gabriel LaBelle, available on all good podcast platforms right now. The young actor shares some beautiful stories about working with Spielberg on his first big starring role and how playing Sammy Fableman, aka Steven Spielberg, <laughs> has changed his life. The Fablemans is in Australian cinemas from January 5. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Lee, before we kick off the first news segment for Season 9 and 2023, let's have a quick chat about some films we saw over the holiday break that we didn't get a chance to sit down and review in detail. One of the biggest ones I saw was I Want to Dance with Somebody, which is the Whitney Houston biopic from the filmmakers behind Bohemian Rhapsody, and it stars Naomi Aki as Mm -hmm. Whitney Houston. Um, Yeah, we talked about this a little bit. It's a very joyous celebration of her work and her life, but I don't think it's an accurate depiction. Mm. It it shies away from a lot of the darker aspects of, you know, that touches on the drug abuse, but not really. It touches on the domestic abuse, but not really. And I think in doing that, it really does a disservice to Whitney Houston because it doesn't tell the darker sides of her life. I think they don't want to tarnish her reputation too much. Yeah. But in doing that, it does a disservice to, to a woman in general. Yes. I'm not surprised with the team behind Bohemian Rhapsody that it glazes over the gritty stuff. Mm. Not that you want a film that's just like dark and, no. you know, despair it, but 
her life was very complex and ultimately sad mm. as well as celebratory and something to really mm. revel in. And I think it plays into the problem that the movie is addressing, that she was being pushed and prodded into this certain image, this certain public image. Yeah. And this movie is just reinforcing that rather than celebrating the whole woman and who she was, you know, warts and all. And mm. I, I don't think that was the right way to go, but you expect it, as you said, from the filmmakers behind Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, look, I didn't see the film over the break and I feel like I might just sit tight and maybe watch it at, watch <laughs> okay. it at home in my, yeah. in my own time. But I've told you and, and listener, go and watch the documentary called Whitney, which is a couple of years old now. And that mm. is one of the best documentaries about a person that I've ever watched. Mm. If you lack the insight into her life for real, mm go and watch the documentary because you will get a really interesting and ultimately devastating mm. take on who Whitney Houston was. You saw Lyle Lyle Crocodile yeah, over I did. the break. How did you enjoy that? Look, I enjoyed it way more than I expected to. Like, mm-hmm. seriously, we had a wonderful time. I went with my husband, Josh, and our two nephews, Lockie and Bo, and we went on Boxing Day, which is an Aussie tradition. Yes. It's like the day of the year. It's the biggest sort of releases after the holiday, Christmas mm. lunch, and you go to see a movie the next day to digest the Christmas ham and mm. pork and turkey and such like. It was really lovely and fun. Yeah. It was family entertainment. Javier Bardem, I mentioned this to you when we caught up recently, he is just having the bloody time of his life Mm -hmm. as his character. It's universal. It's a coming of age. It's just really sweet and it's really worth seeing. Take your kids to see it. There were a few Netflix releases too, which we'll just briefly touch on. Matilda Mm. the Musical, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery and Blonde, which is getting Mm. a lot of clapback from people. Yes. Well, let's start with Matilda the Musical. Mm. I really loved it. The film. Yeah. I thought it was so much fun. It was just a beautiful adaptation of Tim Minchin's Broadway hit. Can Tim Minchin ever do any wrong? No. He is unstoppable <laughs> and he must be protected at all costs. <laughs> and Emma Thompson is fantastic as Miss Trunchbull. Yeah. I mean, the film back in the 90s is iconic. So it was hard to top that. But because it came from the angle of being adapted from a musical, it, it finds its own and it really stands up next to the Broadway and West End production. I highly encourage you to sit down and watch it with your kids. I did see it on Broadway when I was in New York. Amazing. I saw it on the West End. Yes. Yeah. And I had Gemma Arterton sit in front of me. She was a (laughs) Bond girl in Quantum of Solace. Yes. yes. She was also in The King's Man. Big fan of her. Yep. And I watched Matilda with her. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) A Glass Onion and Knives Out mystery returns Mm. to uh, Ryan Johnson's world of serial mystery, I guess you call it. Yeah. Um, It's not a sequel, but it does star Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc. Mm. What did you think of that one? Look, I've been very vocal on my hate of Knives Out. (laughs) I loved it. I thought it was one of the most overrated, overbloated, <laughs> messy films of recent memory. And I can still remember the feeling of when it got nominated for original screenplay at the Oscars. I was like, how the fuck did this happen? I'm so, wondering how the fuck you didn't like it. Oh, look, <laughs> We've honestly, discussed this. We've discussed this. We have. And I haven't rewatched it since I saw it in the movies because mm. I just don't want to. <laughs> uh, and I don't want to like it all of a sudden. I don't know. Maybe I was in a weird headspace that day because I literally feel like the only person on planet Earth who didn't like it even a little bit. So did you like this one more? I loved it. I know it's so bizarre. I went in basically flatlined with my expectation (laughs) because I thought, oh, God, this is just going to be a job's worth. But I had so much fun watching this movie. What did you think of it? I did enjoy it. I don't think it was better than the first one. I still loved the twist in the first one better. Um, This one offers a lot more. It's very different, which is good. You don't want to just be rehashing the same crap over and over again. Sure. The characters were really interesting. You've got Catherine Hahn, Kate Hudson, Dave Batista, Edward Norton, like you could just go on. Janelle Monae is fantastic. MVP Ed. of the movie. Yeah. My goodness. She's so good. She's brilliant. Hugh Grant pops up as Benoit so Blanc's husband. Odd. So odd. <laughs> I loved it though. That, that was one criticism I had. There's so many really jarring, random cameos, either verbal or or physical mm-hmm. when they're referencing celebrities. And I mean, the characters are of that insufferable world of privileged and power and, mm-hmm. and influence in society. So it makes sense. But when Serena Williams shows up, 
you know, on the screen. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Anyway, yeah. That, that felt a bit odd to me. That was a bit strange. <laughs> and then, of course, Blonde, starring mm. Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe. It's based on Joyce Carol Oates's novel, which I'm currently reading and finding it quite difficult to get through. You oh. were halfway through when we sat down to watch it together yeah. the other day. Will you finish the book? It's a bit of a chore. Yes, I will because I have to finish a book when I start it, which is sure. a real pain because I'm also struggling to get through Debbie Harry's autobiography. <laughs> oh, who's Debbie Harry? From Blondie. Yeah, and it's just written in a way that's very esoteric and very arty and I just, I'm, mm. I'm struggling to get through it a little bit. But same with this. I'm, I'm struggling to get through Joyce Carol Oates' book. Yeah. Then we sat down together and watched Blonde mm. and, yeah, we had the same sort of thoughts as everyone else. Like, what did we just watch? Yeah. It was a very interesting experience. And Anna de Armas' performance is wonderful. It's brilliant. She's really, really good. But mm. the material is terrible. Yes, and very confronting and unsuspectingly so, and I think unnecessarily so. You wonder why there's a fictitious take on the life of a real-life person yeah. in the first place. Yeah, and some of the things I'm finding from the book, it's just very slight changes, and you think, mm. why? Why? Yeah. Why? A lot of the criticism about the film is that it doesn't, again, see her as a fully formed person. It, yeah. it shows the victim, mm. Marilyn the one that was put upon, the one that's treated like a piece of meat, et cetera, et cetera, like the media image of her. Yeah. And that's what people have a lot of problem with, that she was actually a really smart businesswoman and she's just shown as this pathetic, like snivelly, mm. daddy, daddy. Always crying. I think we were talking, yeah. oh, she's crying again. Yeah. Looking down the barrel, looking all lost and confused. I think it does a real disservice to Marilyn Monroe yeah, and there are I better agree. films out there about her. Having said that, the mm. movie is visually so arresting. Mm. incredible. Mm -hmm. And they, they made it on a US $22 million budget, which is beyond my comprehension of how they delivered such a product yeah. on that budget. And the way it's filmed is to show her mental state devolving. Mm. And the film starts getting very choppy and very yeah. um, uh, different styles and all these weird kind of things. And it's just, mm -hmm. yeah. There's really interesting ways that they use the camera and edit and mm. sort of visual effects that manifest themselves mm. in moments, which keeps you engaged for mm. the two hours, 47 minutes yeah. this movie goes for. It's too long feel, as well. It's very long. But you, you feel quite uncomfortable during and certainly at the end when you're then thinking mm. back about what you've just watched. And also one thing we said, it doesn't really explain a lot of the no. things that it's showing. And it jumps in time it a lot It jumps too. in time a lot. And you don't get a sense, like her mother's there at the very beginning, you don't really get a sense of how her mother treated her, how she grew up, but you just mm. you get like little snippets of it and it's not enough to give you a fully formed idea of this character yeah. of Marilyn. Which is bizarre when you think the film's almost three hours long mm. and you think you had time to explore these things in more depth just yeah. to help the audience through because yeah. you're not only like creating a fictitious version of someone's life and you're twisting things. And so even if you have an understanding of Marilyn's life in detail about the people she met, she married, mm. the experiences she had, the films she made, the mm. struggles she had, they're slightly different. And they're not helping you join those dots in yeah. how they want to present her life. And mm. so you feel quite confused a lot of the movie. Yeah. Like there's a lot of assumed knowledge in yes. there. But also how can you assume the knowledge when it's a completely made up story? Right. Oh, <laughs> my God. We could go round and round in anyway. circles, right? All right. Let's move on. Now that Avatar The Way of Water is finally in the world, it's smashing box office records, which was expected, right? Never. What's what's the thing that people are saying? Never bet against Jim Cameron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's officially passed the US one point five billion dollar mark now, making it the highest grossing film that was released in two thousand and twenty two. Damn. Well, Top Gun Maverick was still the highest grossing film in two thousand and twenty two, but now The Way of Water has overtaken its US one point four nine billion overall takings. Speaking of gross, it's a bit gross, isn't it, to always be relating a film's success back to money. Mm. Uh, but the box office for this one was very important because yes. of the studio investment in a slate of five films, mm. as well as its huge $350 million budget. Which is probably a modest. It's <laughs> probably. probably way more than that. And the other sequels are no doubt going to expand upon that budget as yeah. time goes on. You are right in saying that it is gross, that we're focusing on, <laughs> on the box office takings. But even the conversation, the marketing trail from James Cameron is like, well, this movie needs to make $2 billion to break even. Like, mm. uh, do you want more Avatar sequels? We'll go and see it and then we'll make more. Like he, he almost put it on us to, yeah. to go and see it. So no doubt that's what the big headlines are more about how much money it's making than rather if the film is good or not. Right, yes. <laughs> I think. And if you want to know if the film is good or not, 
please check out our review with the last episode of 2022. It's a good episode. Yeah, it's, a it's, good our, it's our longest episode. Speaking of films that went on forever, it's our longest <laughs> ever Popcorn Podcast episode. Well, I mean, when you have a movie that's three hours and 12 minutes, you, <laughs> you can't talk it. about it in half an hour, right? No, exactly. Well, speaking of films still to come, in a recent interview, James Cameron has revealed Avatar 3 will introduce a third clan of Pandora that shows off the Na'vi's darker side, which we've never seen before. They're all kind of painted as mm. good people. Yeah. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> so Cameron says that Avatar 3 will explore different cultures from those I've already shown. The fire will be represented by the ash people. I want to show the Navi from another angle because so far I've only shown their good side. So he's saying it himself. Yes. So Cameron continued, we will also explore new worlds while continuing the story of the main characters. I can say that the last parts will be the best the others were an introduction. Gee, I love how overzealous he is <laughs> in positioning his stories. A way to set the table before serving the meal. So he's saying, hang on to the end. Yeah. Get me to the end. He might not be helming the end films though. He has dangled that oh. in front of us. So what was Avatar an appetizer? The Way of Water an entree? And so is three and four like the main meal and then five is the dessert? <laughs> We're never leaving this restaurant. I always get dessert. So <laughs> I want number five, please. Okay. <laughs> so some years ago, the titles for the Avatar films were actually leaked and The Way of Water ended up being the correct title. Mm. The third film at the time of the leak was titled The Seed Bearer. But of course, anything could have changed since then. We'll just have to wait a bit longer before we find out whether it's going to stay the same. Gosh. I think that we'll get a title really soon because number three is meant to come out in two years, mm. yeah, end of 2024. Just around the corner. Just around the <laughs> river bend. So we got a really fun teaser trailer this week for Renfield, directed by Chris McKay, who has brought us the Lego Batman movie and the Tomorrow War on Prime Video recently. It revealed a first look at Nicholas Holt as Dracula's henchman, plus a first look at the one and only Nick Cage as Dracula himself. <laughs> the film is a present-day comedy about Dracula's aforementioned henchman Renfield as he falls in love with a traffic cop, played by Aquafina, and he seeks to extricate himself from the tyranny of his blood-sucking boss. It's like horrible bosses with supernatural twists. <laughs> right, there it is. There's the headline. So is this casting of Nick Cage the best thing since Nick Cage played Nick Cage in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? I think year? so. I can't wait to see him play Dracula. I think he'll be delightfully over Damn. the top and camp. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be good. We, we did get a flavour of what he's going to bring to yeah. the character in the trailer and I just... Damn, I want more. <laughs> I want it. So excited. Renfield is due to hit Australian cinemas on April 6th this year. So speaking of Nick Cage, he's also been dropping tidbits about the Face Off 2 sequel, sharing that Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett's pitch for the direct sequel would involve Castor Troy and Sean Archer's John Travolta children becoming involved in their rivalry. Yeah, so the film is still in the very early development stages and we spoke to Simon Barrett actually about how that was going in a recent interview with the writer who is currently working on Godzilla vs. Kong 2 and Thundercats with his co-writer pal Wingard. Gosh, the only thing I heard in that whole thing was Thundercats. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I just loved that growing yeah. up. So make sure you check out that interview on YouTube and all good podcast platforms. We also got a new trailer for Christopher Nolan's upcoming epic Oppenheimer over the break. Mm. So the film tells the story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb and is slated for a July 2023 release here in Australia. Yeah, the film has an incredible all-star cast with Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Josh Hartnett, Rami Malek, Kenneth Branagh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly knows how to reel them in, right? Yeah, he does. So this trailer showcases the tension and intensity of Nolan's films as well as a compelling visual feast. What did you think of the trailer? It delivered what I expected it yeah. to deliver. A lot of tension over mankind's quest for progress and whether we're going to also be our own mm. demise in that. Yes. That's what the film is going to play on a lot, I think, is the responsibility. Yeah, and the aftermath. Yeah. The philosophy behind yes. your decisions in humankind, the yeah. ethics of it all. Yeah. But somehow looking like an incredible visual like masterpiece. What kind of Christopher Nolan twist is it going to have on it though? Well, Do mean, you know what I mean? Like but it's a real time story. <laughs> <laughs> 
he go they travel back in time and they stop the atomic bomb and there was no <laughs> world well world, it ended world war Two, right well it's an interesting trailer star-studded cast can't wait to see it. I wonder how long the movie will be, though. <laughs> oh, my God. They haven't re- uh, announced that, have they? I don't think so. I'm going to call minimum, minimum two and a half hours. Is this a thing now? It is. We're living and breathing it right now. Goodness gracious me. Can I borrow a Nolan time travel machine to go back to when <laughs> movies were an hour and a half long? <laughs> They'll sell it at the candy Or bar. just less than two hours, please. Yeah. Gosh. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, Lee, mm. that about wraps it up for our first episode of season nine the first episode of 2023 it's good to be back thanks for listening how do you feel we're back we're We're back we're We're getting dug back (laughs) that's my best ed helms slash hangover impression (laughs) you love saying that one you love saying that one well we covered off steven spielberg's the fablemans starring gabriel labelle and don't forget you can catch our interview with him on all good podcast platforms As always, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We are now on YouTube, guys, where you will find our latest celebrity video interviews. Simply search Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single one. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.